Please be seated. Today's gospel is about healing and his touch. It's very important to realize that in our church, there are many healings, and as many times that Christ touches you personally, sometimes we are not particularly prepared to receive the touch of the Lord. But when the Lord was amongst us in his ministry, his life-giving, preaching, his prayer on the mountain with the Father, his teaching the apostles, he taught them certain things that opens to us the touch of the Savior, which is healing sanctifying and victory for the journey on the earth. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the mysteries, the sacraments, as we say in the vernacular. In the Eastern Church, we always celebrate the mysterion, the mysteries. Why do we call them mysterion, mysteries? Because the great mysterium tremendum, the great mystery is the Holy Trinity. And the Holy Trinity loves us. And because of the Father's love for us, he, he sent the second person of the Trinity, his Son, who is his son from all eternity, from all time, to come among us and go through his passion, death, and resurrection. And because of the fecundity of his life, he instituted the sacramental liturgy, the mysteries. And we believe there are at least seven of them, but probably more probably be more in the early church, and but we have the seven defin definitely defined as matters of faith, uh, but there are more. One of the things <clears throat> I've noticed is we are not always responsive to Christ touching us because we don't prepare well. We sort of get used to or the sacraments. One of the things we do know we're pretty careful about is that we're in a state of grace before we go to the sacraments. 
I remember when I was in a parish, had quite a few marriages. And one of the problems of the priest was to sure that the couple were in a state of grace. Well, you say, well, that couldn't be too hard. Uh, we just make sure, they had to make sure they went to confession. And I would usually have confessions right after the rehearsal for the marriage to make sure they were in a state of grace. But we have many marriages today that are not sacramental. And it's difficult for the priest to know what to do. So the church says, well, every marriage doesn't have to be sacramental. That's wrong. It's too bad. Because I think you people need as much grace as you can give to live in the marital life. It's difficult. We're learning at the wrong source for the newspapers about scandals in the church. The largest scandal in the church is people who are not married properly, who are not living a proper sacramental marital life. That's worse than any other scandal in the church. But of course, the media never brings that up because they could care less about marriage, especially in this country where divorce is just an automatic thing. No fault divorce is a grave sin. I think. So I remember when I was studying canon law, people want to get an annulment after they'd been divorced. And of course, the church tells us to wait six months before we start working on an annulment because many times in that six months they get back together. So I had another couple one time came to me. They didn't get along too well. They got a divorce, but they thought they were still in a sacramental marriage because that was a civil thing. So they thought in the eyes of God, they were still married. How do you figure that out? Now, that's one abuse sacrament. The marriage of Cana, so Our Lady, the interceded for the couple. In the marriage of Cana, the icon on the wall, there they are, crowned in glory. And Mary speaking to Jesus about the wine. Why it was the wine so important? Well, it's a matter of hospitality, they wouldn't be embarrassed, but something more. Wine is a rich thing. We use it to change into the body and blood of the Lord in the Eucharist, in the mystical supper with the Lord, 
But I used to tell couples at their marriage, I said, Jesus takes the love of a man and woman, which is water, common, and turns it to wine to point out the richness of the sacrament. Now, the other thing about the sacrament that's very important to the church is children. And children are why there is a sacrament of marriage. Because the marital embrace must be always open to life. And of course, God is very interested in that because he's populating his kingdom. So this thing is a royal touch, a royal blessing, a crowning in marriage. In the Byzantine church, vows are usually not said that's a legalistic thing. Usually it's the blessing of the priest or bishop that marries the couple, the touch of Jesus Christ. How the Western Church got so legalistic has led to the destruction of marriage, that you can walk in and out just by getting a lawyer or something. You cannot. In May, we saw a young man, brother, Father Theodore, take his life vows to Christ and the church. They cannot be laid aside. It's a grave difficulty to do that. It's so difficult that to bring that up, anything like that, must go to the Holy See itself. Well, I think marriage should be that sacred too. I think those vows are very sacred. And that Jesus touches that couple when the priest put the crown on them, and he has a plan for them. The plan is heavenly glory. So why do you get married? Well, we're in love. Oh, please. That don't last. It's nice. Hollywood's full of it. Our, our society is taken up with romantic love. Uh, it's not the notion of God. The notion of God is the sacrament of union between a man and a woman, and he's there to make it productive of children. It's a grave covenant with God. It cannot be laid aside. 
People tell me they love their children. And no doubt they do. But in our society, just like marriage, a child can be laid aside, even be murdered legally because of some selfishness. I sincerely don't think it's, there's salvation for those people. It's a grave sin. You should not get married so lightly. Brother went through three years of a novitiate before he took solemn vows. Had to figure out what it was all about. Interesting thing, when Brother took his solemn vows, and I compared it to Phoenicians and what the church says about marriage, the marriage is a sign of the union of Christ with his church. Some people look at that as different, you know, well, what does that mean? How are you united with the church is by life-giving grace coming to you from the Father, through the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a sacramental marriage. All such vows are sacramental. I don't think we should judge our neighbor. They don't understand, for most sake, the gifts of God. They don't even understand God. They think God is like Santa Claus or something. He is not. He's serious and difficult to get along with if you don't do his will. People tell me occasionally, well, he understands me. I have a special relationship with God. We all have a special relationship with God, but not if we do not keep our vocation. I remember when I was a subdeacon, I was in the chapel at the seminary, and there and the bishop was there, and there was a big a liturgy. <clears throat> And all the uh, subdeacons were brought up into the sanctuary. And uh, <clears throat> he stood us in a row. And they said to us, take one step forward. And with that step, you take your vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And we all stepped forward. We all took our vows, but it's taken me a lifetime to understand or try to live those vows. And I've tried very hard by living a very disciplined life. And unfortunately for you and myself, but good for the United States, America, I was a colonel and very disciplined. And I think I ought to learn from the military a lot because I respected the discipline. But I respect the discipline of Jesus Christ more.
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep the Beatitudes. If you really love me, you'll take the evangelical counsels, poverty, chastity, and obedience. Then I will really fall in love with you because your heart will be mine. Your life will be mine. And every step you weigh, you'll be walking with me to do my will. That's what your marriage vow should be about. In the Acts of the Apostles, we talk about the holy widows. And Paul gives us the advice, take care of them. If they're going to be naughty, marry them off to someone. Everybody needs to be watched over. That's the mystery of the love of Christ. So we're told to love our neighbor. You can't love your neighbor unless you're in love with Christ. You can do a lot of good things, but are they graced acts? Are they really the hands of Christ amongst us? We can be sure of certain things because of the sacraments, who are the touch of God. It's his hands that change this thing, his will. And he sends the Holy Spirit. So the other day, one of the ladies here asked me about the Eucharist. And most of you, I'm sure, you wait to go to the Eucharist, which is good, but you don't always pay attention to the Eucharistic prayer, the anaphora. And it's very symbolic. But symbols bring reality. When you make your sign of the cross, you're making a profession in the Nicene Creed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Incarnation, especially the way we do it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, human and divine. The priest stands at the altar. He puts on the vestments, the ornaments of the priesthood. She put them on carefully and with prayer. They used to tell us seminary, when you put them on, we know you have the intention to celebrate the Eucharist. When you come near to the Eucharistic prayer, and in the Byzantine church, we do not have just certain words we must say. We must say the whole Eucharistic prayer. But the chalice, the bread, the wine, like the wine at Cana. The priest prays. The wine becomes the body and the blood of Christ. The priest prays with the words of Christ and the bread becomes the body of Christ. Finally, 
the priest says the epiclesis, calling on the Holy Spirit, who comes down to, to complete the consecration. And when he comes down, it's his dissension into the chalice, into the blessed bread, and God is with us. That is the king of all sacraments. The beauty of the Christian. And your heart should be prepared to receive that gift. Jesus walks with you. Holy Spirit comes in praise in you. You are the chalice of the life of Christ, his body. And his holy body comes to you in blood in the Eucharist to make you his tabernacle. Magnificent, insufficient to explain, but the heart of our Catholic faith. Jesus healed the girl in the gospel and brought her to life. Jesus gives you life in the Eucharist, makes you part of his body and his blood and his relationship in the Trinity. You're very special. Please, Remember who you are. You're a Christian, which means you're one with Christ. You are his body. You are his blood. Make sure you are his will. And when you deal with your wife or your brothers and sisters or neighbor, remember who they are. They're part of the body of Christ. I remember a little story about Origen. He was a very famous Latin theologian from North Africa in about the second century or so. Very brilliant. So he was born, his, he, came, he was born of Christian people. And They were having a party, or as people do when they have a new baby and the baptism, and it's our tradition. And so the dad disappeared. So they went looking for him. He's the host. He's supposed to have the fine wine and everything. And he was kneeling beside his newborn baptized chrismated son. I said, well, what are you doing? He says, I'm adoring God in my son. Dear brothers and sisters, I know you love the priests. I know you're careful with them. I know living day to day with your wife or your children becomes routine. But when you're doing that, Think for a minute that they are Christ amongst you and adore Christ in those you love. 
name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen.